You're listening to Stop Horror Time, the podcast where two 20-something LGBTs talk the horror movie of the week, real-life crime or events, and if it's worthy of being an honorary gay film. And yes, the titles are puns. I'm Elle. I'm Kate. Hello. So welcome to our very first uh, special episode for the Patreon channel that we just launched. We yes. thought we'd... We do things a little differently here. We thought, <laughs> we thought we'd do something fun and something non-horror related for for a bonus, just because like we are still a horror podcast. But uh, so this is a we're talking about Sweet Smell of Success, which I mentioned briefly on my Noir Vember episode, where I just rambled about film noir for about fifteen minutes. <laughs> um, let me uh, perfect time to bring on our special guest. To talk about it. So would you like to introduce yourself? You, I mean, you've been on here before, but just for for the noobs. Hi, guys. It's me, Sydney. I'm back. <laughs> and that's that. Okay. <laughs> so this movie is your fault, Sydney. You're the one that made me watch it about, about a year ago. A little over a year ago. Yes. That's very true. And um, when you guys... <laughs> It is all my fault. Yeah. Um, and when you and when you told me that you guys were gonna do an episode um, on this and would I like to come guest on it, I believe my exact words were, "If you had invited anyone else, I was going to be offended because <laughs> I was the reason that you guys watched this movie." Um, and I just this is like one of my favorite movies of all time and if I wasn't given the opportunity to talk about it I was gonna get very mad (laughs) (laughs) and what's interesting to me is when you first watched it you didn't like it as much right and then you watched it like a year later and was like oh that's the shit yeah so the story of me and Sweet Smell of Success is that um I originally watched it in like July of 2018 which was like a really weird month for me personally Mm -hmm. I was like constantly uh moving between where my job is located and where Mm -hmm. my house was and I was like you know staying on this mountain for a week and then I was off mountain for like two weeks and then I was back for like a week and then I left for like three days and then I was back and so I was like constantly in this like stage of like moving and I think it really like put me like Mm. in a mind in a mindset of just being really pissed off and so when I watched the movie for the first time um I remember thinking that I just didn't really care for it um I didn't really understand what was going on, and I didn't like any of the characters, and as someone with the name Sydney, like, I take that very personally, and when I meet someone who has the same name as me, um, I get very, like, offended at their existence, because there can be only one Sydney, and that's me. And so, um, the fact that the main character is named Sydney Falco, I was like, fuck you, I'm Sydney, you can't be Sydney. And so I kind of came into it with a chip on my shoulder, I think. Um, but there were parts, there were things about it that I did like that I thought were interesting, but I was just kind of like... I don't think this movie is for me and I just kind of let it go but then I remember someone I knew was talking about how like they thought Tony Curtis had like more acting talent in like his eyelash than in like the in the entire being of like all these other actors and I remember Mm. thinking like that can't be like that's (laughs) 
did we watch the same movie? You know, did we watch the same movie? And like by sheer coincidence, or maybe they were saying this because of this, but it was playing on TCM because um, they were doing a whole theme on like journalism in the movies. And Sweet Small Success is a big journalism movie. So I watched it. That it was literally on that night. And so I, you know, pulled up my computer and I watched it. And I remember sitting there at the end of the movie as it was done. And I was just like, this is one of the best fucking movies I have ever seen in my entire life. And what was I thinking? Yeah. And I just genuinely couldn't believe that there was a version of me that didn't like this movie. Um... And I, I remember I watched it the next day on TCM, and I watched it, like, four or five times <laughs> while it was on the on-demand platform for that week. Um, I watched it constantly. I, I was just, every every time I watched it, it was n- new and exciting, mm. and there was just something to love about it. And I ended up really falling in love with both of the lead actors. <laughs> um, first, Burt Bert Lancaster, and then eventually, we, I kind of segued into Tony Curtis. And, yeah. and, and now, I, now I just can't imagine my life without them. Like, they're just so important to me. Um, but that's kind of how I ended up, like, on that train, and then I inevitably dragged you into my orbit, Kate. And yeah. then you, after that, after my initial uh, trapping of Kate worked, I brought you into the mix, Elle, and now we all just three <laughs> suffer. <laughs> So I guess I'll give a brief synopsis about it, since this is probably... Right. I mean, I don't want to make assumptions, but I doubt a lot of our listeners have have seen it, or, you know. It, it's an old movie, <laughs> so we don't watch those. Because um, it's from 1957, yeah, you mentioned Burt Lancaster and Tony Curtis, and it's about the... Um, Tony Curtis plays Sidney Falco, who you mentioned. He's a, a press agent, <laughs> which is kind of... Like, I don't think that really exists anymore as a profession, but he basically tries to get... Does it? I mean, in a way, it's just it's like, like a an publi- agent. It's, he, it's, like, he, it's like a publicist. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, so he works with, like, newspapers to put in, like, pieces about his clients that are, like, in the entertainment industry to, like, hype them up and stuff. And J.J. Hunsecker runs the column that everyone wants to be in. Like, that's the one that everyone reads. And it kind of starts... In the the what the first thing that I found so um like fascinating about this movie is you just like plopped into these people's lives like shit is already happening Mm -hmm. and you have to figure out what because what's happened is Sydney is supposed to break up um not you Sydney J J who Burt Lancaster plays once uh, has a sister who's dating this jazz musician. That he's not all about, and so he wants City to break them up, and <laughs> he has failed miserably at that, and so that's where we start, is, like, all of this tension, like, amongst all four of them, like, bubbling up, and I don't- I just find it so fascinating, uh, that they're also, like, lived in already with each other, and there's these really complicated relationships- Mm-hmm. I don't know. You know what I mean? But so yeah. that's that's what the movie's about. It shit shit happens, you know. <laughs> <laughs> um L, when did you first see this? You showed it to me. I was over like last year. I went oh, yeah. over to LA and you were like, We're gonna watch Sweet Small Success together. And that I rem- sounds like me. Yeah. I remember watching it and I was just like, What are they saying? What does this mean? <laughs> Yes, this has a very unique script. Um, 
I don't know if this is just how people in the 50s talked, but I don't think they did. I think this was just... Sydney, do you have any, like, info on that of a, like... It's, yeah. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay! Um, I have... I mean, I came... I mean, I've seen this movie a million times, and I've read almost everything about about it. Um, okay, wow. But yeah, um, so the script was written by Ernest Lehman, who... Um, was a playwright, I believe, and mm-hmm. then it was with um, some rewrites by Clifford Odets, who was another mm-hmm. um, playwright at the time, and Ernest Lehman actually wrote a bunch of short stories um, before Sweet Smell of Success became a screenplay, so it was originally a short story that he had published, and uh, Ernest Lehman actually used to be a Sidney Falco type, or I think more specifically, he was the assistant to a Sidney Falco-esque type. Um, and so he really based a lot of the screenplay and the, the story and then later the screenplay on, you know, the people that he had encountered and the things that had happened to him. Like, he remembered, you know, one day, like, his boss taking a lunch meeting, which was really just, like, him, like, having sex with, like, a client, like, in his office and, and Ernest just, like you know had to sit there because he was like the assistant and and when he was writing the short story people were telling him like you can't write this because uh so many people are going to be out of work because everyone's (laughs) gonna know like who these people are like the character of jj hunsecker is so clearly based on like walter winchell who was a columnist at that time and he was known to be a bit of a tyrant and he actually had a sister who i believe he had institutionalized Mm -hmm. because he didn't he didn't want her to you know be independent of him and um but yeah back to the dialogue like so i think i think part of it was it was just the kind of the way that people just in the industry talked but you know Mm. it's also just it's also just like a very stylized like kind of like a jazzy way of talking like jazz is such a big influence on this movie like Mm -hmm. uh, you know the score especially and like the fact that one of the main characters is a jazz musician but um it's, it was funny because, you know, when I watched this movie, I immediately recognized how much of an impact that it had had on, like, modern day, like, media. Because, like, t- you know, one of my favorite shows is, you know, like, Breaking Bad. And two of the episodes mm-hmm. are titled after the, one of the most iconic oh. lines of Breaking Bad, of not Breaking Bad, of Sweet Smell of Success, oh. you know, the cat's in the bag and the bag's in the river. Um, and, you know, I'm someone who grew up on Aaron Sorkin because of my father, and Aaron Sorkin fucking loves Sweet Smell of Success, and you can just tell <laughs> the way that his, like, fast-paced, yeah. walking and talking, like, titter-tat, like, his dialogue is very, like, playing off of each other. Mm. Um, but yeah, I... I think the dialogue, it takes a minute to get used to because it's so, it's very, it's very, like, jarring if you're not used to that. Um, But, like, you know, it's not really something that's, like, unique to Sweet Smell of Success. Like, a lot of, like, pre-code, a lot of pre-code Hollywood, once they started, like, um, realizing that they could, you know, have actors kind of talking over each other, like in His Girl Friday, where Cary Grant and Rosalind Russell just talk over each other all the time, and some things are kind of clipped out, but, like, it works, because, like, it's in that fast-paced, like, newspaper business. Um, So, you know, it's not the first movie to do that, but I think it's one of the ones that does it really well. Yeah. Yeah. Like, there's, like, a... this. Even though we just talked about how, like, 
the dialogue. I I, I don't want to say dated because that's not what it is. It's just like unique, but like the film still feels so fucking modern. I think just yeah because of the cynicism that it brings, and I think that's yeah. why people at the time didn't like it. Maybe and like oh yeah. That's definitely why they. It's, it's so cynical. <laughs> yeah, because um, this this was during a time in Hollywood where the, the star system was still like a thing. So, yeah. you know, people people wouldn't accept stars like Tony Curtis and Burt Lancaster being this awful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was like literally the first thing I saw Burt Lancaster. In. Oh my! It's like yeah. Down. <laughs> um, what was I gonna say? Fuck, my brain rot right now. Um. <laughs> Well, I can talk about Tony Curtis, at least, love of my life. Um, I had, I was familiar with his work, but I had not seen this, and this, this really is the performance of his career, like. Yeah. You, he just does so many little things, and he is, like, you know someone's a good actor, and this is, this is probably from my theater background, but, like, you're always supposed to be present, even if you're not the one saying or doing anything. He's always just so present when he's on screen and I guess that, that's kind of like what Sydney's doing because he's always assessing things and trying to figure out how to get the one up on people mm-hmm. but he's literally always like watching and reacting especially around JJ mm-hmm. and I don't know you just, I just love watching him in this there's specifically that scene in um the theater Oh yeah. yeah, it's like a theater, right? Yeah, um, where he he has like no lines. He's just watching. He's watching everything erupt. But yeah, he's, like, oh. he's watching everything that he set up knock itself yeah. down. And he's literally so like he's... Regina George standing in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when I was when I was watching that scene, he's kind of like he's never really standing still. He's kind of like prowling around them and just kind of like yeah. walking on the outside. And then he's like next to JJ, and then he comes back out, and he's just constantly moving. And just mm-hmm. just watching his face, he's just like assessing how everything is going down. It's it's so cool to watch. It was really really good to watch this again and just see all these little things that I hadn't caught the very first time I'd watched it. Um, yeah, Sydney, it. wasn't he given a note to like always be moving? Like, wasn't that like a conscious thing he was told I think, to do? Yeah, that, I think he came up with that because. Oh okay. Yeah, because I remember when I was reading the biography of Burt Lancaster, um, which I read last summer, that he they were blocking one of the scenes on the street with JJ and Sydney and originally it was going to be kind of like static and then Tony was like how about we do it where I'm just kind of always circling around you and Burt Lancaster who I should note was also like one of the big like pr- he his production company made this movie um and so he had a really like heavy hand like in all of the aspects of this movie mm-hmm. um so his response just do whatever you want was it made sense because he was clearly like so exhausted from all of the other things that were going wrong in this production that he was kind of like just do whatever you need to, need to do I really don't care um, oh but yeah no I, I I mean you can just tell that Tony really really wanted this role and it was a role that he thought was really important um, and yeah he kind of had to fight for it because again like Tony Curtis he came up in the like late 40s early 50s and he was really like typecast based on his looks he was mm-hmm. a, a very mm-hmm. a very attractive man and he was always kind of playing that dashing like lead and so this part was really 
it was very different from anything he had done up until that point. Um, mm-hmm. And so he really did have to fight for it. And I remember when I read like a Vanity Fair like making of article on this movie, some wh- the person who had wrote it, whose name escapes me, wrote that the, perhaps this was Tony Curtis's best role because he wasn't he he wasn't Tony Curtis. He was you know Bernard Schwartz from the Bronx, mm-hmm. and that's you know that yeah. was tony's real name um before he became famous and so he really had to tap into something you know deep inside of himself you know this is his city him and bert's both grew up in new york city so they've you know they lived there their whole lives um and so you know he really had to tap into something you know into your lived-in experience to make Mm -hmm. this movie um and i think that's why it works so well like they really they really do know their characters um but especially tony curtis who you know i always think i always say i think it's bullshit that he didn't get oscar nominated for it because it really is the Mm. role of his life and he it's it's a hard role to play like oh yeah and he does it he makes it look easy (laughs) it's true yeah yeah Going back to the whole New York thing, I think that's another thing that drew me to this is because, you know, I've always (laughs) famously have this, like, romantic connection to New York because I'm Mm -hmm. a theater gay and wanted to move there and everything, you know. And, like, it's funny because this is a different side of New York that you see. And it was was shot on location, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. this, This, like, beautiful, like, black and white cinematography of late 1950s New York and, like... And it's specifically about New York um, nightlife, because everyone's out, like, way past the usual bedtime. Like, it, all, it may, mainly all takes place at night, and they're going to, like, different clubs. They're going to, like, 21. Like, that's where JJ sets up his sh- shop, is at Club 21. And there's just, like, this atmosphere to it that, like, I yearn for. <laughs> just, like, that's, what, that's what I want. Which is such a weird reaction to this, because, like, you are not supposed to want to live the lives of these characters, and I don't, but I just want that, like vibe there's like this vibe they're literally like there's a part where they're like walking down the street and this dude is being kicked out of a restaurant for being drunk and jade is just like i love this dirty town <laughs> and i'm like moved <laughs> it's just very like because usually whenever i feel like when you see new york uh stuff it's always like during the daytime more like very glamorized yeah. and stuff and this is just straight up like this is the nightlife and like embracing the city for all of its like maybe not so great aspects and including the characters that are part of that setting so because i think if it was anything but like this like on the same level as those characters you know of like these these are terrible people (laughs) but we love them as characters because they're just so complex and they're very different from you know a lot that i've that i've seen anyways in films and uh yeah you know, you have to em- embrace all of that, including the city that they live in, for all its faults or not. So, yeah, I, I love that, because most people don't usually call New York a dirty town. Now it's just like, <laughs> As a compliment. As a compliment. <laughs> Yeah, JJ says a lot of really mean shit, but he means it as a compliment, which is... Like, cookie full like, of arsenic. God! Yeah, yes. yeah him referring that's... to Sydney as a cookie full of arsenic, but that's, like, a compliment, because... Sydney is like this nasty, like poisonous, sweet-looking thing um, that if you eat it, it'll kill you. Yeah. I love that they remark upon his looks a few times in the in the film, like because it, it is a face that could fool you uh, into like letting like he, he has a pretty face. 
He does have a pretty face. <laughs> so it's Tony Curtis. I, I heard of it. <laughs> it's fun. It's funny though because Burt Lancaster also like when he was coming, you know, uh, up in Hollywood, he he's a very very good looking man. But in this movie, yeah. he's not that. Like he very purposefully like he's wearing these like really thick glasses and like he's always wearing like these weird hats and coats and like. <laughs> He's it, he's really he's always kind of shot like in shadows, um, yeah. and so he's whereas like Tony Curtis is kind of like using his looks to kind of like play against type. Mm-hmm. Burt Lancaster is also kind of playing against type, but he's using like he's using like the opposite of his looks. Like he's making himself look very different. Um, and I know that originally when they were casting JJ, um, they wanted like an Orson Welles type, um, mm. but they couldn't get Orson Welles and. Ernest Lehman recalled very, you know, humorously that they were in the production office one day and, like, Burt Lancaster was just kind of laying on the couch, like, listening to them talk about who to play this role. And then he said something like, gee, Ernie, how about I do it? And then they they, they were just like, oh, okay. Uh, Sure. (laughs) And then, and I mean, but I I think it's one of, it's one of his best roles. It's, it's up there for me. Um, The work that he does is also very, like restrained and he's a, a he is like a man of very few words whereas Sidney Falco is a man of a thousand mm-hmm. um, and he's very still and calculating and thoughtful whereas Sydney is like this manic ball of energy um, <laughs> where you, you have you just kind of wind him up and watch him go whereas like Bert and JJ will just kind of stand there and watch for a while um, just watching him just work himself up and uh and then he'll say like one thing and and just set the whole the whole thing on fire um yeah that's why this film works though because the chemistry that they have is just incredible like it's they really play off of each other really well and and um you know that they they had already worked together yeah they'd made a couple movies together um they had well (laughs) <laughs> Tony had been an extra in yeah. um, a movie that Burt had made in like 1949 called Criss Cross which is this noir film that I think is great um, and then they had worked on um, this like drama this like romantic drama called Trapeze the year before um, that Burt's production company also had um, made and it was there that Burt and Tony became like really good friends and so when you know, Tony's name got floated for Sydney. Bert was the one who kind of vouched for him and was like, "Yeah, he's a good actor, and I like him, and and you know, he'll be a good, a good mm-hmm. person for this part." And so, he really vouched for him in that way. And, um, I mean, you can just tell, like, the, if if it had been someone that like he didn't have the chemistry with, it wouldn't have worked. You know, it's it's yeah. such a it's such a two hander. Like, if you don't have a good Sydney Falco, if you don't have a good JJ Hunsecker, this whole thing goes tits up, and you just. <laughs> you just have a bad you just have a bad movie so yeah while we're talking about performances i also wanted to mention susan harrison as as susan um Hunsicker, like she actually i think she passed away last year um, yeah she me. she passed away like the day after we watched it oh, oh shit together, we Kate. killed her <laughs> um, oh shit because um, i was literally coming home from LA and I was literally on the airport shuttle to go back to my car and I remember I read the news that she had passed away and she was I think the last surviving cast member of Sweet Smell Success yeah yeah but um I really love her work in this there's a lot of subtlety going on to what she's doing 
Um, but it's like a it's a beautiful performance and like you see all of the complications and fear that's going on because she's she's being like smothered by her brother and wants to live a life of her own and like that the ending are we doing like spoilers for the yeah for movie from 1957 <laughs> spoiler <laughs> alert guys spoiler can you gays stop spoiling the sweet smell of success <laughs> um but like I don't think I would have liked this movie as much if it had ended differently, which I think, because initially, Sydney didn't Burt Lancaster want it to end with him? You know, kind of? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he did. He, so, he really felt very strongly that the film should end with him, not just him, but him and Sydney, because, and like, I, I, I hear his argument, because they really are like the main characters of the movie and so the director uh alexandra mckendrick who was like known as sandy um he knew right away that he didn't want that um and he really wanted the film to end on you know the shot the, the iconic shot of susan yeah. you know walking away um yeah. and so he he really tried to he tried to film the that the this the ending in a way that would prevent you know, Bert and the other producers from tampering with his edit. (laughs) But what he didn't realize was that like Bert Lancaster had been working for a really long time. And Bert Lancaster has, had always been interested in like behind the camera stuff, whereas most other actors were not. So he was actually really familiar with like directing styles and like editing practices. And he knew right away that Sandy (laughs) was trying to pull one on him. Um, And so he would like deliberately ruin those shots to, um, prevent Sandy from like being able to make that possible um, and finally Sandy kind of gave up and um, Bert edited it the way that he wanted it but there was kind of something off in the cut and so he called Sandy and was like can you take a look at this because it's just not looking right and you know it, 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 it could be better and so Sandy kind of was like well why don't we try it the way that I originally wanted it to and Bert was kind of like fine and so you know they have the editor edit it the way that Sandy wanted it with Susan and immediately like Bert kind of watched it and he was kind of like oh fuck (laughs) he was he was like fine it works it looks good like it's fine we'll do it your way and Sandy was like yeah um I mean San I mean Alexander McKendrick like made like one more movie after this and then like notoriously like never made another movie again like he his this was like the highlight of his career and then it it ended um but (laughs) but but he was right like susan while not the main character is like the she's like the she's the force that guides the action yeah yeah so to end on anything but her feels wrong um and not only that but she's like the heart of the movie too and like the only like, really the only sympathetic character. I guess you could count yeah. Steve, too, but he's so boring. But, like, <laughs> I just... I, 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 like I was saying, I would not have resonated with this as much, I don't think, if it hadn't ended on Susan finally getting to walk away from all of this. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, you, uh, <laughs> it's like the ending of The Invisible Man. It's like the... <laughs> it's the, <laughs> it's the power that has! It's the good, good for her! Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it really does tug at your heartstrings. Yeah. Oh my god. Um, there's a musical of this we all know that ends kind of differently. 
Yeah. Are we gonna, should we should we mention the music? Yes, we should. <laughs> I mean, it's I was literally I was literally just listening to it before we <laughs> we hopped on nice. to record this. Nice. <laughs> and yeah, that, the, that's inter- the musical um kind of like all of act 1 basically takes place before the settings of the movie. It's kind of like yeah. it's kind of an interesting companion piece of like so this is could could have been how we got here. And uh, had Brian Darcy James of Shrek fame and John Lithgow. <laughs> <laughs> what... So, <laughs> I feel like we have to talk about how gay this movie. <laughs> yeah. I've just been waiting. We were waiting. Like, okay, we got the the film analysis out of the way. So. <laughs> <laughs> we got all okay. the smart stuff out of the way, so now we can just wax poetic about how fucking gay this movie is. Very yeah, good. so... <laughs> so, back to the aforementioned chemistry, you could say, of Berlin Caster and Tony Curtis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this movie's gay as fuck. Um... <laughs> And I will just kind of say that, like, it was not the intention of Ernest uh-huh. and probably Bert and Tony to, like, make this movie very, like, homoerotic, but <laughs> this film is extremely homoerotic, like, and not and not even, like, in the way where it's, like, I'm just gonna make it like this because I want it to be, like, genuinely that second time I watched it, I was, like, very, like, oh, these characters, like desperately need each other like in yeah. a way that's like and and i think that's just like the way that the narrative is like they they both there's there's a power imbalance in between them mm-hmm. in a way that's really fascinating like they both really need the other for something and and they they just can't, it's like a push and a pull and it, it and i was just i remember i was watching it and i was like oh so they like they broke up before the, before the movie started, and and now they're kind of, like, in that space of, like, we used to date, and now I can't fucking stand you, but, like, I need you to do this thing for me because of my career, um, and so I'm going to, like, pretend that I can, I can stand you for, like, two minutes while I can do, while I get this thing done, um, and then they just kind of inevitably, like, get drawn back into each other's orbit and then they kind of break apart and then they come back together like they're always like off and on in that sense um and and like we're not the only ones who have have read it this way like i have read like articles from like legitimate like film scholars like one of my favorite um one of my favorite articles i've ever read is by the critic david thompson and he literally and this is published in a book like i remember i went to barnes and noble and i opened this book and i read this essay so like it's in a book people um but he wrote an entire he wrote an entire essay on the subtext that that exists in sweet smell of success and it's called the coded queer lives of a hollywood classic and you can read it online i'm literally looking at it right now um but the thing that he says that really struck a chord with me is he says that um he calls them like this very like toxic coupling and he he calls them like a refined codependent like slavery um and then but then he writes um um it might have been a greater film still if it could have seen or admitted that their mutual loathing is the only thing that keeps them from being lovers end quote (laughs) 
Um, and he, he refers to them as, like, a married couple. Like, they know each other so intimately. Like, like Sydney knows if he goes to Club 21 that he'll find JJ. He knows that if he drops Susan's name, JJ will not throw him out. He knows that, like, JJ knows that when he holds up his cigarette, Sydney will light it for him. Like, they know each other in such a way that, like, it's really hard to read as, like, not intimate. Yeah. Um, like, I yeah. want to hear from, pe- I want to hear from people who don't think this movie is gay, and I want to hear what's going on <laughs> in their brains, just because there's just so much, like, code, there's just such a, like, code to, like, their gestures. Like, JJ, like, tugs on his tie, and he knows <laughs> what to say to get Sydney to do whatever he asks. Like, he has this power over him. Like, it's, it's just, it's very sexual, <laughs> and I don't, I don't know how to describe it any other way. Like, it's extremely sexual. Um, and so, for that reason, uh, I think that this movie is uh, an honorary gay film. Not even an honorary film. It is gay. It just, it's just a gay <laughs> raise, film. Raise millions for the LGBT. Um, yeah, and even, like, Susan, Susan knows what's going on. That, that I love that, that cab scene with her mm-hmm. and Sydney... Uh, talking about JJ, it's like hearing his true. She's like trying to get a real opinion out of him, but he's so much of a lapdog, and she even like calls him out on that. Mm-hmm. And, like, how could you love a man who makes you jump through burning hoops? And I'm like, uh, the, the L word, huh? <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> uh, uh. Multiple people in this movie call Sydney JJ's uh, lapdog. Yeah. Um, like Susan does it. Steve does it. Yeah. I think. I think the the columnist that that Sydney tries to blackmail, mm. um, if he doesn't use the word dog, he definitely like he's like your man prints anything, and Sydney's like what the mommy? He's, like, he's like what me what? like, <laughs> but like so many people like tie JJ and Sydney together to the point where even in the movie JJ's like. Why is everyone coupling me with Falco? <laughs> Meanwhile, like Sydney's like literally lighting his cigarette, like as he says it, like Sydney on his lap. Why? What do you mean? And then <laughs> and, and then Steve, Steve's response is, "Well, why is he here? Tell me. When he dies, do you think he'll go to the dog and cat heaven? Like, like it's very obvious that like." everyone thinks that Sydney is JJ's little pet that he just kind of sicks on people. Um, and the movie doesn't do a lot to disprove that. Yeah. <laughs> I like yeah, in, like in the theater scene, uh, um, like when they're in the chairs, they're like, like right next to each other. And just, he's just constantly just like right there. He's sitting like right, right on him. Yeah. Like, like, the, the, the staging of the, when he goes to club 21 and it's like, he pulls up a chair right next to and behind JJ. So he's literally just like, there for him and like yeah that was Burt Lancaster's idea because um they wanted they wanted Tony to have a seat at the table and uh-huh. Burt was like JJ would never let him sit at his table <laughs> so they made Tony Curtis like pull up a chair like right behind him but it works yeah yeah it, it, like it, it works like it was absolutely the correct choice because it works and it's so funny well. like whenever like someone else at the table like is trying to talk to Sydney he has to like peek over JJ's shoulder like what mm-hmm. <laughs> Oh, the, the tension though, like when he's like match, like match me, Sydney, and he just looks at him. And he's like, I think, like not this minute. It's just like this oh tension, God. and I think everyone else else at the table was like, "You okay? <laughs> you guys should, should we leave?" <laughs> yeah, Speaking it, of it, tension and like exchanges of looks of like when it's later on in the movie when um, Sydney realizes that 
JJ is gonna finally give him what he wants and let him write the column for him. Well, him like that, the the face journey that both of them have, <laughs> and like I was thinking about this, I was thinking about this the last time I was watching it, Sydney, but like wondering if like that's even what JJ had intended to do at first. Mm-hmm. But, and then, like, Sydney saying, not even if you gave me the column, and, like, JJ realizing, oh, that's how I can get him, like, to to do this for me. <laughs> yeah, like, I think I think they're both kind of manipulating each other in that scene. JJ yeah. more so, but, like, Sydney saying it, like, he's kind of speaking it into existence. Like, not yeah. even if you gave me a column would I do this for you. And then, like, Quick. JJ kind of immediately, like, you can see the light bulb turn on in his brain. Yeah. And he kind of, like, sits back. And, yeah. and then Tony, Sydney immediately realizes, like, oh, shit, like, he's gonna offer me the column. And his face kind of immediately, like, changes from one of, like, moral outrage to oh that's interesting okay i'm gonna get what i want yeah i'll do this thing for you and jj kind (laughs) of like sits back like i have you right where i want you yeah Uh, i i can get you to do anything um and that's that playoff is just very like it's i'm i mean i'm just gonna be honest it's kind of hot like it's sexy (laughs) like it's hot like it's i remember every time i watch i'm like whoo like (laughs) Like it's like it's and and they do it with no words. Like it's all yeah. all glances. Um and it's it's expertly done. Um they get back together and it's great. It's great. <laughs> they are that couple. Like, they they very much like like if like if this were like a like a real like if this wasn't just like subtext, like they would have been that like that romantic movie about like whatever straight couple like can't stop breaking up and getting back together like that would have been them um but that's why we like this movie because they fight a lot and it's that's where all the good drama and tension is and the girls are fighting the girls are fighting yeah the drama i love, of it I love all. this movie it's, it's too much to be straight so yeah. <laughs> yeah that's very true that's very true it's very petty in a way like it's Straight people don't have the talent to be that petty. I lost in the amount of times I was like, hello, every time they did something at the screen. Just like, it's a lot gayer than I remember. Oh, yeah. It's always oh, a lot yeah. gayer than you remember. I was losing my mind the first time I watched this. I'm like, it was funny because Sydney, you were like, I didn't think you'd, uh, I didn't know you'd like it this much. Or then in fact, I'm like, how would it not? Like, that dynamic I mean, is like my kryptonite. It's <laughs> yeah. just very like like I mean it's the movie that I recommend to everyone who like doesn't really watch a lot of older movies because I do mm-hmm. think it, it it holds up extremely well like in this yeah. day and age, um and like modern day audiences can kind of appreciate like how depressing and like dark it is while still being <laughs> yeah. like really funny, um but like I, I I do also know that like it is very much like an acquired taste like there are like no likable characters except for like Susan yeah, yeah um and like you know that can really be that can really like put a bad taste in people's mouth and like it is very depressing and like it can <laughs> be really hard to follow if you're not like paying really close attention yeah. um. So, you know, I can, I, so a part of me was very like, I don't know if you're going to like this, but I want to show it to you anyway, because I think it's special. And, um, and I'm, I'm glad that you really liked it because I was actually like, you were really into it for a really long time to where I was kind of like, step off. Like, this is my movie. Like, (laughs) 
step the fuck back. Yeah, and then like when I showed it to my brother, I wanted to show it to him because he's like a he's a screenwriter, and I'm like, you gotta see this if you're a screenwriter, man. And he's yeah. like, and he was like, that was good, but like, how how can you? How can you love this so much? He was like confused that I love this like depressing, cynical movie and would like literally watch it every night before bed as like a comfort blanket or something. He's just like, "Are you are you good?" And the answer it just is, doesn't. No, I'm not. But, it just doesn't get old. Like it's one of those movies. It, it's just there's always something new. Yeah. To, to look at. I th- this this watch. I, I wrote this down. I noticed like Sydney's face. Um. When they're talking to Kello and uh, JJ's like, Sydney's being a naughty boy. He called you my fat friend. And Sydney's face is like the, the emoji of the like. I, I had never noticed it before. It's so fucking funny. He literally. I can't describe yeah. this over audio the way it looked, but it's so. Oh my god. Yeah. yeah, that that scene is a good one because you know when JJ looks at him, he's like trying to like be like cool, calm, and collected. But yeah. like the minute like Kello kind of looks at him, he's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, like <laughs> like Ben Wyatt around cops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Fucked up, Halloween. I I think I what I like a lot about this movie and its characters is also that it it doesn't like try to do anything to dissuade you from these these people are like awful people except for like. Susan, maybe uh, Steve, and like it just kind of embraces them as yeah, these are these are who they are, and oh yeah, like I, I just love that they're just like this, and there's no like that's just it, and that's who they are, and like love it or not, and I, I just yeah. really appreciate and, that. I love it. And, there's like, no you, tragic you backstory. There's none of none of that. It's just these are bad people yeah. because they they know that being bad is the way to get to the places that they want to go and the things that, that they want, and that's just a choice that they're yeah. going to make. And whether yeah. that works out for them or not, like, you kind of just have to hang on for the ride. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I think it works and like, because you know where these characters are coming from. Like, both of them. Even, even if it's not the right answer. Even, like, how do I say this? Like... <laughs> Cool motive, still shit yeah. person. <laughs> Especially JJ, like wondering like the why he has this hold over his sister and why he's so possessive of her, and none of that is right. But like, yeah, you know why he's doing it. It's not out of like, like the motivations are clear and make sense, even if they're being shitty people. And especially Sydney, you know, like, you know you know that he's still w- trying to work his way up and never wants to be at the bottom again and s- back where he started, and so he will do anything to stop from being in, like, a powerless position like that. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and, like, if you look at, like, the movie compared to, like, the musical and also, <gasps> like, the, the short stories that Ernest had written... Which, I mean, I think are, are very good and I would highly recommend to anyone who like watches the movie and then wants a little more. Mm-hmm. The I like the movie the best because, you know, the musical and the short stories, they really try to expand on these characters and the story and, like, give it a lot of additional, like, backstory and explanation, which, like, I just, I don't think that the movie needs you no, know, like, yeah, I, yeah. like like it's nice after the fact but it yeah. kind of ends up bogging down the story like i like i don't need to know more about jj and i just i think he's a more powerful character because we know almost absolutely nothing about him mm-hmm. um and susan and like where they've come from and like 
you know, how they've gotten to be this rich. And, like, it's funny because, like, you know, Burt Lancaster and, like, the other producers and the screenwriters, I remember they had put, like, all these golf trophies, like, in the background of like JJ's study where he's like he does all of his typing and like no one notices that and it really pissed Bert off he was like no one noticed all these golf trophies like it's character it's important to the character and I was like it really isn't though like the less we know about JJ the better Mm -hmm. um and so that's why like I like the, the stories and I like the musical but I think one of the big flaws of the musical is that it does it does add a little too much backstory um where we don't really need it uh you know it's like the material's good just kind of let it do what it needs to do um it's truly almost like fan fiction like (laughs) yeah the musical really is like the musical really is like fan fiction for the movie and like i love it because i love that shit but like but like the the thing about the musical is it real in in the second half especially it starts to rely too much on the movie's dialogue and so Mm. the the musical numbers in the second act are just not as good as the the first half and um it's it's you know it's just like it it really like i remember um the musical did not do very well at all it was a critical it was a critical and a commercial failure despite winning a tony uh for john lithgow but I remember I read a review in the New York Times of the musical when it came out because I was obsessed with this critical failure. Um, and the, the reviewer, she had written that, like, it just, it tried, it, 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 uh, it tried to make Sidney Falco too nice of a person. Yes! And, yeah. like, yeah, and, and, and I agree, despite really loving the musical um, mm-hmm. and, you know, Brian Darcy James's performance as Sydney, mm-hmm. but, like, I, I agree. Um, I think that that's kind of, that was kind of what killed it. Um, they're not good people, and yeah. you don't want to redeem them. Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they tried, they really did, they really tried to make Sydney more likable. They had to, like, broad, Broadwayize it uh, and give him mm-hmm. his big... His backstory and his "I want" song, like I mean, which is a, a great. I mean, it's a banger, but like the fountain fucking slaps. But it's just like that's not who movie Sydney is. He would never. Mm-hmm. He would never. <laughs> no. Um. So yeah, it really just works as a companion piece, is what I would say. Like that's what I just yeah. told my friend that watched the movie for the first time. And I'm like, you know, the musical, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyone who watches the movie and is like, I like this and I want more. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would recommend, you know, giving the musical a listen to and, like, reading a couple of the short stories because they're just, mm-hmm. you know, they're just interesting companion pieces, but, like, they're just very different. Like, yeah. th- even the short stories, because there's, like, three of them, um, mm-hmm. and they're really, like, very, they they are vastly different from each other. Um, Ernest Lehman just kind of wrote them all. Um, uh, and, like, Sydney, I think, is, like, the one character who's, like, in all of them. Um, but he's all, he's different. He's different in all of, like, he's different in all the stories. So, like, these kind of became the, like, blueprints for, you know, the uh, origi- the inevitable uh, movie Sydney. Um, mm-hmm. But, so. Those short stories are in the booklet for the Criterion, right? Or at least some of them are? A couple of them are. Um, yeah. the Not the original Sweet Smell of Success. Um mm. But my favorite of the short stories is <clears throat> one called Hunsucker Fights the World. And that's, um, it's the story of a train trip that Sydney and JJ take mm. um, from 
I think Las Vegas, um, back to New York. And it really, I like that one because it underplays like the dynamic that exists between Sydney and JJ and how it's really fucked up. Um, but at the same time, JJ like desperately needs Sydney. Like he, like Sydney is a press agent in the the short story, but he kind of acts as like JJ's like de facto assistant. Um, (laughs) and so, and JJ is like always hanging onto him. He's like, I need you. Like, let's play cards. Like keep me entertained. Like run lines with me. I need you to do all this for me. And Sydney is like, he does it, but he is like, so like unhappy with this dynamic. And he, he kind of feels like Susan, like smothered. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was always really fascinating to me. And then I can't remember the name of the other story, but I think it's about, I don't read this one as much because I I don't like it as much. Um, but I think it's about the lengths that Sydney will go to, to get a lot, an item in in the column. And that kind of Mm. becomes the basis of, of his blackmailing, um, the columnist in whose name I cannot remember for the life of me, uh, Leo Bartha, who, um, um, his blackmailing of Leo Bartha to try and get a smear, uh, of Steve in the column to get Susan to break up with him. So that kind of became like, and JJ isn't in that one at all. Um, it's just Sydney and his girlfriend Rita, I think. And, uh, some of the other columnists. So those, uh, oh, if you buy the Criterion, Rita. I know, poor Rita. Oh. Um, but if you if you buy um, the Criterion um, box set of Sweet Smell of Success, you'll get those. And I think some interviews with uh, Ernest. And I think there's an interview with either Sandy or someone who was San- one of Sandy's students. Uh, Alexander McKendrick became, a, I think he taught at UCLA, if mm. I remember correctly. Okay. He taught filmmaking for a really, really long time. And one of his his uh, prized students is uh, James Mangold. So, <laughs> so um, I I think it's a, it might be an interview with James Mangold actually that might oh, be in the. Um, but yeah, it's a really good box set, and anyone who's interested in the movie should should buy it. Um, but it also comes on Criterion Channel off and on. It was actually just on as part of their Burt Lancaster collection, and then they took it off. But I'm sure they'll put it back on again. It's on Amazon Prime right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's, not the it's on a lot. What? I said it's on a lot of streaming services. Like you yeah, can find it like on a, a bunch of them. Um, so it's it's pretty. Ex- it's one of the more accessible classic films, I think, and that you can find it a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. This would definitely be like a. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Al. Oh no, I was just agreeing. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. I was gonna say this. I feel like this is a good intro to to classic films for, especially for people who are you know afraid of black and white and afraid of you know what i mean like mm-hmm. the, i cannot stress enough the gorgeous cinematography in this yeah like, the cinematographer was james wong how who yeah he oh. was like a master at light and photography mm-hmm. and any film that he makes even if the film isn't very good it always looks amazing mm-hmm. so reflects definitely um isn't it uh the dream one day to bring back Sweet Small, you guys want to bring back Sweet Small Success to Broadway? Oh, yeah! We have a <laughs> cast already! <laughs> yeah, we, it's it's been a dream of ours, um, just because we think that we could make it better, like, if we yeah. did a revival of it, we, and, and also, I just think that, like, when this musical came out, like, in, it was, like, what, 2002, 2003? Yeah, 2002, yeah. I just feel like that wasn't enough time, um, it wasn't enough time in, but like it was, it was a little too soon and it's just the world that we're living in right now, especially like with all of the conversations that we ha- like we have and the, and then the, the debates about like the media these days and like the roles yeah. and the responsibilities mm-hmm. and 
and just like you know the the ethics and the non-ethics that exist like in reporting like um i just i feel very strongly that this musical would be such a good a good revival if done correctly yeah like yeah yeah it just like there was literally it was it is not what new york theater goers wanted at the time like a year after 9-11 they did not want this cynical yeah (laughs) thing they Mm -hmm. wanted to go see the producers and have a good time like Uh, it makes sense. Um, yeah. But yeah, like you were saying, now re- revival win. Let's get we're gonna get Rolla Sparza back on Broadway. He's gonna win a Tony for playing Che Che Huntsucker, and I can finally be at peace with myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that fucker's gotta go back on Broadway. And in our revival, we will like make it gay. Like it oh, will yeah. be like it, it's not gonna be subtext. It's gonna be real text. And I think I should also just add that like the musical is literally just as gay as the movie. <laughs> oh, the church scene. Like, the church scene. <laughs> yeah, there's literally there's literally a scene where JJ takes Sydney to a Catholic church and makes him get on his knees like an altar boy and swear his allegiance to him. Um, and it's great. It's fantastic. And Elle and Kate are like literally like dabbing and dancing <laughs> right now. It's but it's no, it's true. Um, it's a it's a good. It's a I like it. It's gonna be great. Would you guys, uh, with that, would you try to like change anything from the musical to like less rely on any kind of backgrounds? Would you more want to have them like the movie have like this history that you like see and feel rather than try to give them any backstory? Or would you want to try to keep that in there, but like change it up a little bit? That would be kind of hard to do because it's so so much of the musical is backstory to the movie. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Um, I also don't know if John Guar would like let us alter his text. <laughs> um, he's still out there. Marvin Hamlish has passed on, who wrote the music, but the the playwright is still out there. Um, yeah, I yeah, would say is- like maybe like in like in the other. Like in the in the and I think in other ways without altering too much of the text, like you can make it kind of like shine through. That's kind of how I would approach it. I think because I, I wouldn't I like Kate said I wouldn't want to alter the text too much because, I mean a I'm I'm not a writer and like b like I, you know I don't I don't want to like take too much away from it. But mm-hmm. like, there's there's other ways that you can like kind of update it for a modern. Yeah. A modern interpretation. I oh think. God, I'm. I'm picturing like a fucking bad Sweet Smell of Success production where they like it. It's still set in the '50s, but they modernize it and have like JJ with a like an, a a YouTube channel or something. Oh, no. <laughs> like like fucking monitors everywhere on the screen, like Dear Evan Hansen, and I would probably like jump out of a window. Or something. I feel like they did. Didn't they do that with like um. With the with the movie network in the last like year or two with Brian oh, the, Cranston, the where they yeah, where they made it like very modern. Oh, um, I don't know. I I know that that production existed, but I don't know anything about how they staged it. I'm gonna have to look into that because I feel like that's what they did, and I mean, I'm not saying that's what I would want to do for Sweet Smell of Success because I feel like that movie, while being like a very like timeless story, like it does. Like, just so much of the logistics of it, like, exists only, like, in the 50s. Yeah. Because if you bring it into a modern setting, like, again, like, JJ's running, like, the Broadway World Forums or something with an Iron <laughs> JJ Fist. JJ has a podcast. And, like, Sydney is, like, 
constantly getting banned from the forums because JJ's <laughs> like the moderator. And like that's I got just not again. That's just not good. That's just not a good a good story. <laughs> locked after yeah. too many debates, <laughs> Cindy gets on it. Yeah. None of you are free of sin. <laughs> Yeah, that's why we have to be in charge of the revival. Yeah. yeah. Right, so if any Broadway uh, producers are listening, <laughs> we are we are available and we're already working on this whether you want us to or not. So, like, <laughs> you might as well just, like, hire us to do this because, like, we take this very seriously and, like, no one takes Sweet Smell Success more seriously than me, Sydney. Yeah. Yeah. Not Sydney Falco, but me Sydney and uh <laughs> and um so come find me <laughs> dm me I, I i have so many thoughts and ideas and and uh i feel like anyone who googles sweet smell of success anyway just comes across like my tumblr or my letterbox <laughs> or my twitter because i just feel like all i do is talk about this movie and the people in my life who are going to listen to this episode are, are probably nodding right now like yep she never shuts up about it like it's like <laughs> we get it but True story. I just think, but I just think this movie is timeless and and one of the greats for a reason. And you know, it's it's in my top five movies of all time. So same. Yeah, it like jumped up there as soon as yeah. I remember I did a rank like I did like I very recently did like a, an actual ranking of my top films, and I think it's at like number four, three or four, and that's like really high because like the mm-hmm. movies that have been on that list have only been there for like have been there for like literally years and sweet smell of success i just watched like last year so <laughs> flex <laughs> I know. Oh, yeah i highly highly recommend watching sweet smell of success fall into the fall into the rabbit hole with us yeah and then come <laughs> find me on tumblr and dm me and talk to me about that shit because i'm literally always i'm always around to have Do that conversation share where people can find you yeah, um, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Gay and Bitter, uh, and I'm always. You can DM me there, or you can tweet at me because I fucking love this movie. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I guess I'll wrap things up. Uh, you can find me at Dyke Madden, as always, and you can find me at LM Designs and the podcast on Twitter at uh, Horror Time Pod and Facebook at Stop Horror Time Pod. Uh, and this was a really good. Uh, first bonus episode, I think, is a great yeah. one to start off. And y'all, y'all, if you have any more suggestions of like bonus content you would like to hear, like more non-horror stuff, more of just like straight up gay shit or something, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Weird. Come up with ideas of extra content. Sydney, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. So, everyone, stay safe. Everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Wash your hands. Wash your hands, wear a mask. Anyways, yeah. We'll see you guys. That's what Sydney Falco would want you to do. Yes. Yeah, right? (laughs) Stay classy, everyone. We'll see you guys on the uh, main show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you all for the next Patreon episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.